This is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast, brought to you by G4 Marketing. Interviews with today's top home improvement entrepreneurs about marketing, sales, money, mindset, and lifestyle. Now, here's your host, Brian Kaskavalsian. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. This is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group. And um, I am really excited today. I have got Scott Monday from Kitchen and Bath Crate from Modesto, California. A little bit different type of contractor than I normally talk to, but Scott is doing some really cool stuff out there in Modesto, California that I think will be very valuable for all of you. Before we get into that, By the time you are listening to this, my new book, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor, will be out and available. Go to thewealthycontractor.com, thewealthycontractor.com, and go and find out how you can get a copy of that book. So, Scott, welcome. Thank you for being here with me today. Thanks, Brian. I'm looking forward to chatting with you today. Awesome. So let's start off with, uh, tell us your story. How did you start out with Kitchen and Bath Crate? Yes. So growing up, I had a grandfather that was a custom home builder uh, here in the Central Valley of California. And that kind of, I remember spending a lot of time on job sites. Uh, He had a drafting table in his office. And so I'd sit up there and you know, kind of play around as a kid. And that kind of turned into uh, what I thought was a pursuit of architecture. And so I actually ended up going to university here in California and studying architecture for almost three years. And in the process of doing that, kind of learned that that wasn't really the path I wanted professionally. And so I transitioned to a degree called construction management, which is basically half engineering, half business. From there, after I left school, I went to work for a kind of medium-sized commercial builder here in the Central Valley of California, and I was project engineer and project manager for them for eight years, and then in 2010, uh, left to start my own company. Um, And at first, uh, I was looking at uh, kind of insurance restoration and uh, kind of light commercial work, and then a few years into running the company, uh, my wife and I were at uh, Costco. And we were we just checked out and we were leaving Costco and kind of walking down that long aisle, you know, at the end where you can buy like tires and, you know, a, a new patio cover and all those types of things. And I said, uh, I said, you know, it's, it's kind of funny. You should be able to buy your remodel here at Costco. And we kind of joked about it, you know, how it'd come in a box and then a helicopter would deliver it to the front of your house. And it was just purely this complete joke that we were making up between the two of us but kind of cool actually yeah you know on the drive home we were kind of talking about the idea the idea of systematizing the idea of putting it into a box yeah the helicopter thing of course was absurd but there was just enough of a spark there that got me thinking you know everybody says remodels take too long they cost too much you know residential contractors they don't show up when they say they're going to do all those types of things i thought you know I think we can do it pretty well if we take these commercial concepts and apply it to residential remodeling. So we literally uh, had a friend that owned a company that had these storage containers. So I called Jay. I said, hey, can I borrow one of those? I put kind of a temporary wrap on it. I parked it in front of my sister's house. I remodeled her kitchen at cost. And from there, it's, it's pretty much blown up into a pretty nice concept. Wow, that's really interesting. You took a shipping container, wrapped it, 
and put it in front of your sister's house. Yeah, she let me experiment on her kitchen, which great sister, right? <laughs> yeah. So are you still using the shipping container idea today? Uh, we are. We have 11 crates. We repurpose you know, repurpose storage containers, storage pods, if you will. Okay. You know, the ones people use to load up before they move. And yeah. we have them all wrapped. Yeah, we have 11 of them and we just move them from job to job and they sit in front of the house. So wait a minute. So tell me more about this because that's really interesting because I come from, I was telling you before we, we started the recording that I come from the kitchen and bath kitchen and bath world but we're talking 30 years ago D does the storage container basically have everything you need for that job is inside of that storage container is that the concept yeah so the, the container has you know probably about ten to fifteen thousand dollars of equipment and kind of standardized materials in it it's almost kind of like if you just take home depot and just the parts that you need for a kitchen bath and remodel and put it in there. That's that's what we have in there. And then on the day one of the of the project, we load it with the job specific materials. So the actual plumbing fixtures and, and things like that needed for the actual project we're working on. Obviously, things like countertops and, and larger items like that are not stored in the containers. Those are those are brought to the site and they're installed. But but yeah, there's there's a good amount of materials and equipment inside those crates, and they uh, they operate as a job site hub during construction. So you know we're not spreading things out in the customer's home. We're not taking over the living room for our, you know. Wow, that's awesome. I like that concept a lot. Yeah, and it happens to be, uh, you know, an eight by 16 billboard in front of the house. Right. Which might just help with marketing. <laughs> so tell me about, so let's jump forward. Let's talk about the business today. So you're mm -hmm. doing kitchens and bathrooms. Kitchens, you're doing everything from refinish, you know, basically a facelift. You're doing refacing. We are doing refacing. New cabinets. Mm -hmm. Okay. So refresh all the way through to a complete gut and, and remodel. Right. Same thing with bathrooms? Same thing with bathrooms. Yeah. We have, we have some different products. We, you know, we have a kitchen crate classic, which is more reface, refinish new tops concept. Okay. Kitchen crate custom, which is uh, obviously all new custom cabinets and a complete remodel. We don't do additions. Okay. And we typically don't do significant structural work and we really try to stay away from that. But you know, what's left is a really large chunk of kitchen and bathroom remodeling, even after you take those types of things out. So tell me how many, how many projects will you complete this year? So this year we'll, we'll do about 150 projects, contracts, and a lot of them are multi-room. So that will represent about 200, 225 kitchens and bathrooms in, uh, in 2019. Cool. Do you mind my asking revenue? So we should be somewhere between 4.7 and 5 this year. Wow, good for you. Awesome. So what's really kind of interesting about about what you're doing and as we, you know, part of the reason why we're having this uh this conversation is that you've really done a pretty amazing job of systemizing a business that's difficult to systemize. We were talking about this ahead of time that, you know, you've listened to some of the podcasts and, and you know that I am more of a proponent of the more replacement stuff, the stuff that's in and out quick, generally a couple of days. Most of, most of our clients are in that space. Typically the space that you are in is it's a tough space to systemize. It's a, it, it's it, what typically happens is the owner becomes kind of a slave of the business because there are so many moving pieces. But you've kind of you've kind of figured this this thing out. Can we talk a little bit more about how you did that? And and yeah, kind of like how did you do how did you do it? And what does it kind of look like today? Yeah, I mean, you know, I guess 
I guess one of the key pieces is we market to and, and tend to attract the customer that that has a few very specific priorities. Number one, we attract the customer that wants someone to handle the entire project. We, we don't do any shared work with customers. If someone calls and wants to do their own demo, we don't do, you know, none of that. If we're going to do the job, we are your contractor from day one until we turn it over. And we don't even really, you know, we'd rather you not even come to the job site if you didn't live there, right? Yeah. You turn it over to us. And so if a customer calls and it just feels like the type that's going to want to make changes along the way and they want a true like custom experience that's going to take six months to do, it's just not for us. And we kind of screen that out in, in our phone consultation piece of our marketing. But, you know, with the customers that are left, they want that single point of contact, someone to take over the job and they want it done super quick with high quality. And so, you know, kind of that three-legged stool, you can either have quality, yeah, time frame, or price. We're the first two. And I'll tell people that out the gate. Listen, if you're looking for lowest cost, we're just not the Walmart of contractors. But if you want speed and quality, we're, your, we're a fit for you and let's rock and roll. Nice. And I, I think that that also helps us get down to our customer type that allows us to do these jobs in probably about two to three weeks for the kitchen and bathroom remodels. Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration, all wrapped into one easy to use package. And it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team, and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime, the only true does-it-all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to builderprime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today. Just by the way, for everybody that's listening, some of what he just said is really interesting. He said that we attract a customer that, and he listed out three or four things about who they are and who they are looking for. Most people aren't that clear about who they are for. That's how I've said it in the past. And I think the clearer you are about who you are for, the easier your marketing becomes, the easier your sales process becomes, and the easier your relationship with that customer becomes. Would you, would you agree with that, Scott? hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, we, we work really hard and you know, if we, I personally screen all the leads right now and that's, I know for someone to hear that say, oh man, that's a big stumbling block for the business. And that's my next thing to be able to delegate. But what it does allow me to do is for every hundred calls we get in, we weed out about 60 of those calls to get to the 40 that their needs and what we provide are in alignment. That's the key. And if, they're, if, if we're out of alignment, 
they're not going to be happy. We're not going to be happy. And so it's our job to have some referrals for them, right? Because I don't want them to call and just get frustrated. So I say, hey, call this person for this, this person for that. And we kind of send them on their way in a really kind way. And usually they're pretty happy about that because they didn't want the wrong fit in the first right, place. Right, right. Okay, so when you say we got 100 leads and 60 of them we got to push away, my immediate kind of reaction, and remember, I'm, I'm listening as the listener and trying to figure out how they're going to, you know, take what you said. What about the contractor that doesn't have a hundred leads and can't, you know, sift and sort the way that you do? I still think it's valid. I still think you got to do what you do. Even if you have 10 leads, get rid of the six that aren't for you and only focus on the four. But what that leads me to is how are you making leads? Talk to me a little bit about how you make leads. Yeah, so I'm a firm believer that the lead generation, we feel like we have to cast a wide net. So first and foremost, in 2019, our, our biggest lead source is going to be returning customer word of mouth referral, okay? That was not the case until the last few years. And the simple math behind it is I'm sitting on seven, 800 re you know, recent past customers right now. Five years ago, it was like, you know, my sister and this lady from Rotary, right? So just the, the scale of it wasn't scaled up enough. So I had to you know, obviously a higher proportion of lead gen then was, was uh, social media and other things. So referral, word of mouth, all those types of things. But, but as far as paid, or I should say uh, more intentionally paid lead gen, we have been huge with Facebook from really early on with them. Six years, seven years, we were doing Facebook back when if someone said a contractor was marketing on Facebook, people would be like, what are you talking about? That's, that's for the I policy. still say it. Right? I still say it. You think so? <laughs> well, tell me more. <laughs> I got I'm, looking, I'm, look, I'm always <laughs> looking for people to prove me wrong. So tell me more. You just prove yeah. So tell me more. So we're running at about an eight to nine hundred percent return on investment for our Facebook spend. Nice. You know, okay. So if I spend a buck on it, I'm going to get eight or nine back. It's something you can. Is it? You know, eight nine time return is is pretty amazing on a, on a front end lead source. Was I going to ask you, is it a significant number or is it like what percentage of your business would you say comes from the leads generated off of Facebook? Facebook and Instagram are going to be somewhere in the 25% range. 25%. Okay. 25 to 30% range. Cool. Yeah. And that's return, that's return of profit, not return of revenue. Oh, even better. Yeah. Welcome. When we, when we look at our return on investment for marketing, we tend to look at return on profit because a return of profit, because you know, it is, I mean, wait, wait, wait because you're smart and because you want to make money. Well, would that be it? <laughs> I guess I, I was tired of fooling myself there for a few years. Yeah, yeah. I did that for a long time. It's no fun. So tell me a little bit, how, how, does it, how does it work for you on Facebook? So you're running Facebook ads. You get to target the ads. What are your ads like? So it, it starts back to that same fundamental question of who is the customer. My customer is a female between 50 and 75 in a certain geographic area. And we've gotten it down to the certain TV stations she likes and all those types of things that you, well, Facebook's really changed to what extent you can target, especially with economic factors. Yeah. Obviously homeowners, because we're not going to work for people that own or, you know, are in a rental. So we're able to get that message down. So we know who it is, right? Diane, the 57 year old female in the, you know, Modesto area. Right. And then we take that person and then we combine it with the message. What does Diane care about? Diane deserves a remodel. 
Diane's been waiting for this for years. Diane does not trust most contractors in her house. They kind of make her freaked out, right? Diane doesn't want to have a job go for three or four months while she takes care of her grandkids one day a week. You know, so we just think, you know, we, we, we become Diane and then we market to Diane. Yeah. So we're a bunch of males around here that try to think like 57 year old females and what her pain points are. That is what marketing is, right? You have to put your head, you can't think of marketing from your perspective. You have to think about it from their perspective. It's, it's like what you're saying is like, this is all the crap that I learned, you know, years and years ago. And I try and do my best to, you know, execute. And whenever, you know, it's funny is when you see contractor marketing for the most part, it's, it's a, yeah, it's a bunch of like crap. That's not even, they don't even think about Diane, 57 year old Diane that lives in, you know, such and such that's looking for this, 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 and this. And I think I, it's so refreshing to hear somebody talk in those terms and to present it in a way that hopefully everybody listening gets that let's back up for a second he said he gets an eight to nine time return on prof from profit not revenue from profit on his facebook spend which on revenue if we i i can't do the math in my head right now but it's pretty damn good but the but but he knows who he's targeting and who he's going for and then his job is to come up with message your job as the owner is to come up with messaging that appeals to that prospect that customer that person you want to do work with who is the right fit for you so he just gave you the whole formula by the way really good scott really really good tell me more uh, well, I think one thing to remember is if you're, if you're trying to think through, okay, well, what does my customer care about? It, you just have to really be listening at the end of the job when they're telling you what they appreciated, either in their written reviews or if you're just chatting with them on a punch walk, whatever it is, if they start saying, you know what, Scott, it, it was crazy. Every night when I came home, I, everything was vacuumed. I've never seen a contractor do that. To us, we have a rule at the end of the day, the customer should be able to walk in in their socks and be comfortable in that job under construction. I love it. Very and so specific. it's called the sock rule, right? But Diane cares about the fact that when she came home, she could walk in with her with her socks on, with her shoes off. It was that clean. Just those types of things become the story your customers can tell someone else. And right back to Seth Godin, you know, the definition of remarkable is worthy of remark. We're all re usually remarkable. Sometimes we're worthy of a bad remark. We want to be worthy of the positive remarks to the neighbor when that crate leaves. Hey, Diane, what was that big box in front of your house? I never believe it. It was these guys in the kitchen and bath crate. And you know what's funny? Every night when I came home at six o'clock, I could walk in there. It was like you could eat off that floor. Wow. That's what Diane will say. And that's yeah. what they'll remember. Love it. I love how you keep you keep referring to her as Diane. That is like, you know, that's called a customer avatar, by the way. That's what marketers call it. You have to know who your avatar is so that you, and you put her up in front of you or him, whoever it is, and everything you do has to be designed around them, right? Mm -hmm. So I deal with contractors, right? Everything we do here is all designed around contractors. It's all about a specific type of contractor that thinks a certain way, that runs their business a certain way, that expects certain things. And our entire business has been wrapped around and every decision we make is about that, is about them. Not about me. I don't, I don't matter. 
it's all about them. I think you're doing an awesome job. Before we got on the call, so I'm going to shift gears a little bit because we talked about something really good. We talked about quite a few good things before we got on, before we started the recording. I, I, we were talking about profitability and Scott makes money. Not making enough yet, I think. I mean, he's he's way beyond the the minimum threshold, but I I think you got to you, and you're working on shooting higher. But we were talking about this the fallacy or the, the 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 wrong thinking that I did too, by the way, really bad. Which is this: oh, I got to invest in growth. I'm not making money because I'm investing in my growth. And we were going to talk a little bit, and I told you stop. Let's let's do it when the recording is on. So talk to me a little bit more about your experience with that. Yeah. So the company started roughly nine years ago. We started this particular product of, of kitchen crate uh, seven years ago, bath crate five years ago. So I do feel like we, we haven't even gotten close with this thing to where we need to be. And it wasn't until we started working with Profits First and Traction right about a year and a half to two years ago that we finally like turned the corner from a profit perspective and we're heading in a really, really good direction. But what when I started implementing Profit First with my leadership team here, one thing that we decided to do is we decided to temper growth a little bit. We were just, we we're spending a lot of money on marketing and in new areas geographically and things like that. So we just slowed that a little bit and we got very intentional about job profitability because it all starts there, right? Are we squeezing every single bit out of the orange that we can while maintaining the quality standard? right? That's the definition of profit for a company. How much money can you earn by maintaining your company standards? And so that was the first thing. And then from there, it's looking at the overhead and how can you do all those things and maintain those standards with the most efficient team and hold people accountable to that. And so as we really like really dialed into those two things, job profitability and, and, and minimizing overhead while maintaining standards, that's when we really turn the corner on profitability. And we even, we even slowed the growth rate down from 30% of revenue growth, slowed it down to about 10 to 15. And it's been a really nice cadence the last few years. And we finally really achieved that, getting towards that really strong profit level that we, that we feel convinced that we need. You know, I was on the phone with somebody yesterday. I actually reached out to them because I've known them for, I want to say like eight or nine years. And for as long as I've known them, this person, They've always struggled with profitability, always struggled with profitability. And I heard him talking a couple of weeks ago and I said, you know, I think I know what, I think I know what's going on here. And so I reached out to him and I said, Hey, are you open to having a conversation about this? And he said, yeah, of course I am. And so, you know, you used a really good word. You said intentional, you became intentional about job costing and job profitability, which mean to me, me in my mind means you started to focus on it. You started to get like laser focused on, hold on a minute. We're here to make money, not here to turn money. We're here to make money. And when I was having the conversation with this person, I told him, you know, the one thing that I'm not hearing from you because the, you know, they're growing and, and they've changed their business model and, but they're still not making any money. And they do three times the, by the way, they do three times the revenue that they did when I first met them, whatever it was, eight or nine years ago, they're still not making money. I said, you know, I know what it is. I said, you haven't made the decision yet to make money. And he got quiet and he said, Brian, you're right. I said, I know, I know I'm right. That's why I'm having this conversation with you. And I said to him, I said, well, 
you're doing this much this year and you're going to start to, you know, you're going to start squeezing out some profits. And then he said, well, next year, now we're going to go up. And I think it was like a 30% increase. I said, Hey, I said, why don't you forget about that? Why don't you just go like 10% more, but instead of, but instead of accepting your sub 5% profit, I said, instead, why don't you commit, commit to a 15% net on a smaller number than a 5% net on a bigger number. And it was like, he just saw like the, the ocean for the first time. It's like, you know, nobody's told me that before. I, I'm like, you know, cause that's not as business owners. We think that we just have to keep growing. That's growing the top line, growing, growing, growing. And what most people don't understand is that, no, it's about growing the bottom line. It's not about growing the top line. You know, you have to grow the top line, of course, in most cases to grow the bottom line, but that's only if you have a good profit model. So anyway, I just, I, I, I just wanted to point that out and it was, you know, it's so fresh in my mind and, and he's not the only one. I've had that conversation. I don't know how many times I've had that exact same conversation. It's like, why do you want to grow so much? You have a broken profit model today. You think it's magically going to get fixed by doing that? Anyway. I'll, I'll stop, I'll stop ranting and raving now about that. But, but I love how you, how you put it, by the way. And another thing, another thing we talk, we talk a lot about both of those tools that you talked about. We talk about profit first and you can go back and um, I have a, an interview that I've done on this podcast with Mike McCallowitz about profit first. So you can go back and listen to that and traction, the EO, EOS system, entrepreneurial operating system. I didn't know that you do that. We do that as well. We're coming up on our second year. It is an absolute game changer, absolute game changer. And one more I'll throw in that mix. Um, and I think you had a uh, Greg Crabtree on. I did that, simple right? numbers. Yep. Yeah. So I had a chance to go sit in a group of 60 people through EO, Entrepreneurs Organization. Oh, we're in that too. Yeah. Look Greg, that. Look how much we have in common. Yeah. Greg, uh, Greg uh, Crabtree had an event at Wharton, EO at Wharton, where he joined with the faculty of Wharton and did a four-day uh, seminar on operations. and. When finance. was this? This was, see, we're in September right now. This was March of this year. Get out. We didn't even hear about that. Sorry. Go on. So the first 60, and so I was there with, with people from Australia yeah. and Spain and obviously the United States, but to, to, to hear Greg Crabtree talk to you for two straight days about how silly it is to run a business that does not achieve adequate right. profitability. I mean, it, it was so ingrained in my head when I left there. I came back to the team here and I said, we need to double down on this and we have yeah, some. Good. I had Greg on the podcast as well, too. So for those of you listening, go back. I, I don't know what episode it is. Maybe we could put it in the show notes, but I've had Greg on as well. Because when I read his book, when I read his book, finally, you know, I don't know how long ago it was, but he says in the book, this is where I, this is where I got it from. And I, and I don't make, a, you know, I don't hide the fact that I got it from him. In his book, he says 10% net profit is the new break-even. If you're not at 10%, your your business is 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 on shaky ground. So that that's great to know. Yeah. Well, look, Scott, we could keep going for hours. This is I think this has been great. There have been 
a lot of really great nuggets on this. I think this is another one of those episodes. I think all, yeah, I don't know. It's just me, but I think a lot of these episodes, you can go back and listen to two and three times just because there are so many good messages in them. This is one of those. We talk a lot here about success leaves clues. There's a whole bunch of clues in this one. So go back and, and, and listen to this one again. And, and, and if your profitability is not where you, you want it to be, if your marketing is not where you want it to be, this is a good episode for you to go back and, and listen to a, a couple of times. Let me, let me ask you one closing question. So looking back now over your nine years, what, what one thing would you have done different? Like, what do you know now that you wish you knew seven or eight years ago that you, that you, that you should have or, 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 you know, would have done different? That's a great question. I think that I definitely would have focused on making sure that the profit model was maximized and then gone into the growth mode yeah. as opposed to growth because it fed the ego yeah. and figure out how to get profitable. That was more pain than I probably should, you know, would have been through otherwise. But then again, maybe that pain is what's helped teach me the lesson. So I, if there is something, it would be, it would be, don't put the cart before the horse. Well, I'll tell you what, that pain helped me. I had no choice. <laughs> yeah. All right, Scott. Well, look, this has been fantastic. I appreciate you being here with me. This has been a great episode. And to everybody that is listening, again, go to thewealthycontractor.com. You can get a copy of the book. And there's a new website. There's a bunch of resources there. Go check it out. Become a part of the community. There's more than just the podcast. There are other things that are available to you, most of them without, without any uh, charge. The idea here is that we want to help as many of you as we can get into a position like where Scott is, where it's like, oh, you know, I'm here to make money and I'm here to you know, gain more freedom. And that is ultimately our goal with the wealthy contractor. So with that, this is Brian Kaskavalsian with G4 Marketing Group. And this is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Until next time, thanks a lot. All right, so that's it for today's episode of the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Let me ask you, did it help you look at your business in a new way? Did it spark an idea or ideas you hadn't thought of before? Do you have a list of action items that you can take and implement into your business or your life today? I really hope so. Now, before you go, make sure you subscribe to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast so you get access to the latest episodes as soon as they're available. We're always striving to provide you with great content so you don't want to miss what's coming up. And a favor. I'd really appreciate it if you'd go to iTunes and post a review of this podcast. Let us know how we're doing. And finally, we started The Wealthy Contractor as a resource to help you, the home improvement entrepreneur, regardless of where you are on the wealthy scale, get where you want to go. We want to provide you with the motivation, the confidence, the resources, and the tools so you too can live the life of The Wealthy Contractor. Now, the wealthy contractor is a place where it's okay for you to want it all. In fact, it's not only okay, it's encouraged. So until next time, this is Brian Kaskovalsian with G4 Marketing Group.